0: Welcome to episode 22 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David and with me the NCP crew, Richo. Hey, hey. Luke. It's a pleasure to burn. And Crystal. Hello. Nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture related film, book and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Not only do we have the podcast, we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com. Guaranteed koala-free, which features additional <laughs> content not found on the podcast itself. Why are there no koalas? Because they're vicious little wee creatures.
1: Oh, they're lazy most but of the time. But they're
0: so cute and cuddly and they sell caramellos. And they're related to drop bears and those things are dangerous. Ah, drop bears. For this episode we have a dust jacket where we'll be discussing the novel Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And then follow up with a round table feature on NCP's visit to Supernova Expo. Very exciting. Very exciting indeed. In the, of course, that'll be the Melbourne edition because we're too poor to travel to <laughs> Brisbane and that sort of stuff. But, uh, but up first is Dust Jacket. Take it away, Richard.
2: Fahrenheit Four Fifty One is Ray Bradbury's nineteen fifty three novel set in a uh, dystopian future where books are illegal. And the reading of books is actually a crime. A very nastily punishable crime as well. Our main character is Guy Montag, who is a fireman. But in this wonderful world of the future, firemen actually burn books. Because basically, there are no fires. Houses are 100% fireproof. So firemen just go around finding stacks of books and illegal reading materials and burning them. And uh, Guy is very content in this job. He doesn't really think about what he does it's just what he does so but uh one day uh when returning home from a job of burning books for the day he meets clarice mcclellan who is a very liberal thinking uh teenage girl um very much a free spirit who questions a lot of uh the way that uh, this world of the future operates and uh at first guy just sort of thinks maybe she's a little bit crazy and you know wrong in the head and uh certainly her society thinks that uh she's often has to deal with counselors at school and things like that who believes that uh her brain is dysfunctional um and that she has antisocial tendencies um
3: I like her already
2: <laughs> in subsequent uh encounters between the two of them uh, guy starts to kind of take a liking to her not in a a romantic or a sexual way But just there's something about her spirit That appeals to him And uh, this becomes sort of more prevalent When she then disappears one day And uh, apparently has just been Taken away The implication being that her Anti-social uh, and free-thinking Ways have gotten her arrested And by the government who... Yeah, but that's,
0: not, that's not actually stated
2: No, it's not stated it's But stated it's certainly she's by a car. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly implied And then, yeah, then she ends up
0: I think, I think it's, there's more implication that it's her uncle's taken away. Mm. And so the whole group is taken away. Actually. Yeah, mm. yeah,
2: exactly. With Clarice's disappearance and Guy feeling like there's something now missing from his life, he begins to sort of at least start to question um, his own life. And uh, that comes to sort of understand that he's really not very happy. Um, he's married to Mildred and uh, we're introduced to Mildred with an overdose... That, uh, you know, she tries to kill herself. And apparently this is a fairly common thing in this society. People just overdose all the time and they have special teams called out to actually deal, you know, to do stomach pumping and things like that to save these people. But um, so, um, yeah, so Guy's sort of starting to question um, his role in life and the society he lives in. And that leads him uh, during a book burning uh, at an old lady's house. To actually open one of the books and he reads a line which is Time has fallen asleep in the afternoon sunshine. And this line stirs something in him and prompts him to actually steal the book. Basically tuck it away and uh, take it home and just quietly start reading. And He's
0: also quite traumatised by mm. the woman's reaction. Yeah, he is. The
3: desire to she, you know stay and... Well, you know, she, yeah, she, she rushes it
2: back into the house to save the books and mm. is basically burnt to death. Mm. Mm. And, uh. In the
0: film, she drops the match herself. And I can't remember in the book. That she does. Yeah, she does. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. With a smile on her face. Yeah. yeah. And, he's, yeah. and he's so traumatized yeah. by this, it's like, what? Mm. Mm. I think it's also important to point out that, that Mildred. Um, even though she tries to commit suicide, doesn't remember. Yeah, does she wakes yeah, she she
3: up feeling hungry the next morning, but with no memory of. And it's, it's, it's been—it's actually been erased from her. The drug has it's
0: complete opposite. She mm-hmm. now, I mean, she's addicted she's now, to that TV show yeah, yeah. that is interactive, mm. and uh, basically cons- mm. considers them her family, mm. and uh, mm. basically disassociated.
2: Well, really, there's a, there's a very much a sense of um, the amusing ourselves to death theory and present in this book that people are addicted to. Uh interactive soap operas mm-hmm. basically, and the dream is to have giant screens covering all four walls of your lounge room so that mm-hmm. you can stand in the middle of it and the the government sends out scripts for you so you can read along with the characters um and they've only got three screens yeah you know there there are, uh, bullying is a is a major sort of form of entertainment for people there are um you know mindless street street races um basically this society is being distracted from what's actually going on in their world by just constant barrage of entertainment. Um, and this need to be constantly moving and never stopping and to be introspective or reflective. Um, there's a wonderful scene where is traveling down the highways, you know, you can travel incredibly fast, and he actually stops and notices that the billboards that he's used to seeing are actually a mile long and blurred. Because that's what they need to be in order for people to actually see them when they're travelling at these speeds. And and so all of these things are very much reflective of the society in which Fahrenheit 451 is set in. And obviously the government uh, promotes that and that's part of why this book burning is so prevalent because they don't want people to think for themselves. So they censor everything. Um, Okay, so Guy begins to read and begins to actually start thinking a bit for himself and questioning his society and those around him um he um has confrontations with his wife and his wife's friends who basically prattle on about nothing and talk about you know politics in voting for people just by the way they look hmm. and how attractive they are and things like that and you know his mind is no longer working at that level he's now trying to think and um his uh fire captain who is captain Beatty, begins to see this in guy even though guys trying to keep it hidden uh captain bd actually starts to see these changes and and tries to confront guy without actually really confronting him to try and talk him back to you know the right way of thinking
0: it's a really passive aggressive scene
2: it is very much so but certainly i think one of the one of the best scenes in the book because they're, they're they're so completely talking around the issue um, but you it also, know it it also reveals that it's
0: a common occurrence, that firemen, it's quite, quite common for them to take a book and yeah. sort of think about what they're doing, but then as long as they return it within 24 hours, everything's, you know, no harm's mm. done, everything's good. It yeah. also reveals just how well-read Captain Beatty is. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's obviously read a ridiculous amount and memorised it all, mm-hmm. which is quite strange because yeah. he's the, the chief of the firemen. I mean, yeah. The whole idea, I think, is that you know, Captain B, has gone through what Montag's gone through.
2: Yeah, he's gone through the exactly. same
0: thing. Mm. Yeah, I've where you've been sort
2: of deal. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Without implicitly stating that. Mm. Like, he doesn't come out and say that, yeah, I've been through this. Yeah. But, yeah, you certainly get that feeling that that's what, what has occurred. Uh, Montag then tries to actually get Mildred to start reading and thinking as well. Um, and she actually freaks out over these books. He reveals that he's stolen these books. She mm. freaks out and tries to burn them. There's a point uh, at this point where Guy actually agrees that he will burn the books, but he actually doesn't, but he tells Mildred that he will to try and sort of appease her and calm down. So he's still there's still a part of him that's trying to hold on to his old life and his old way of thinking, even though he, he's now basically changing.
1: I guess it's hard to give up if that's all you've ever known. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Exactly. But he In basically says
0: to her that if you read them, he basically forces her to read them. He does. If you, yeah. if you read them and don't get anything from them, I'll burn them. All. Yeah.
2: Mm. Um, he becomes actually quite cruel with her at, at times because she's just she's so reluctant to you know to step out of this sort of comfort zone that she's in, and that partially leads him to remember Faber,
4: mm.
2: who um, was an old English professor that he had met in the past. And so he actually seeks out Faber's help, and Faber imparts to him what the, the importance of um, literature and literature's connection to understanding human existence and understanding you know the individuality and, and all, all the things that books that books bring. There's a, a wonderful monologue about uh, how books books really are just paper, but it's the receptacle of knowledge that's contained within yeah. those books that they, is important they have pause exactly and faber agrees to help montag he uh which leads to i think the best scene in the book when montag actually returns to the fire station but hmm. this time he has a little uh um sort of transmitter receiver built into his ear hmm. so that faber can actually help him um when, when you know, in, in these confrontations between Beatty, Faber is going to be there in his head, trying to um, to help talk, help him with the
0: conversation.
2: yeah, and to, and to talk Montag out of being completely swayed because he, mm. he is getting swayed by by what Beatty is saying. Beatty very charismatic, very intelligent. As you pointed out, the implication is he's very well read and that he's been through this before. So he's trying to talk Montag down, um, and yeah, so you get this brilliant confrontation between Montag and Beatty at the fire station, with Farber talking into um, into Montag's ear. And it's just a very, very tense moment in the book. But mm. um, it's very much, um, I think, a turning point for Montag. Mm. This is the point of no return, where he can't go back to his old ways anymore. No. Um, so Beatty actually tells Montag to destroy his own house. Basically, wipe out all of these books... Um, you know that Mildred Mildred has betrayed him to the authorities, And the neighbors, and that the neighbors have dobbed him in. Yeah, because they've also seen this change that Montag is going through, um, and uh, basically he does. Mm-hmm. He's happy to do so, yeah, he's yeah. happy to burn the whole the whole place to the ground. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 very much, I think, uh, the cleansing process for him. It's mm-hmm. eliminating all of the baggage of his old life, mm-hmm.
1: um, especially when he sees Mildred mildred fleeing mm. Mm. Yeah,
2: yeah exactly that said I've got no more ties Yeah. Beatty discovers the earpiece that Montag has uh, plans to use that to actually hunt Faber down Yeah. and um, basically this leads to Montag actually killing Beatty. yep
3: with the flamethrower
2: with the flamethrower yeah
3: In... ironic division exactly
2: the ironic, the ironic punishment division and this this then leads to him basically going on the run chased down by some rather nasty mechanical dogs. Yep.
0: Well, they're not actually dogs. They're called hounds, but they look more like spiders.
2: Mm. Yeah. yeah, have yeah. six legs. Yeah, that is true. In a particularly telling moment that I think uh, really does remind me a lot of uh, modern television, um, the chase to capture Montague is actually broadcast for the audience. Um, yeah, there's a, a helicopter that follows him around whilst the hounds are after him. And, uh, yeah, it's very sort of running man kind of moment. Um, which, yeah, like I said, just if for some reason, all I could think of was, you know, Survivor and those kind mm. of TV shows. But, um, yeah, so, um, but Montag manages to, he gets back to Faber, and Faber actually tells him to leave the city to escape into the countryside, which he does and bring back to the television show, uh, chase that they're recording, that they're presenting of, of his attempted capture. They actually show the hounds killing an innocent man, mm. right? And claim that that's Montag being captured.
0: Brain stuff.
2: Which I just think is just so telling to this society. Um, but Montag escapes out into the countryside, where he actually meets other people who have also basically gotten away. They've gotten out of society, and uh, he meets a group of uh, elderly people who. Are actually living books they 've actually gone out of their way to memorize books word for word so that that knowledge will be retained mm. and um, The other thing that Monte discovers whilst he 's sort of out out in the countryside is that the war that has been something of sort of a undercurrent in the story that there is this tension global tension going on he he comes to understand that it is actually far worse than he was ever told because, you know, obviously the media doesn't present what's actually going on. Yeah. So the media has presented that they're winning the war when in fact they're losing the war.
3: It's a very nineteen eighty four It story. is, yeah, very much so. I kept, and I keep wondering, you know, is this you know, is are there, you know, at nineteen eighty four in front of these the same universe, his Big Brother going to war with the underworld <laughs> of the firemen you know, in the
2: Well it it shows the undercurrent of the time that these two you know, classic science, dystopian science mm. fiction novels which deal with oppressive government and censorship and things like that were written around the same time. Mm. Um, this is a little later. This is a little a few years later, but we're still 1953, mm. so I think it's very much reflective of what was occurring at the time and mm. is kind of what's occurring now as well. Um, so, yeah, so Montag then um, decides to become one of these living books as well. So the novel actually ends with the destruction of the city, Due to the war, and Montag and his fellow book uh, fellow book people, uh, living books, actually returning to the city to uh, begin the process of rebuilding, bringing with them the knowledge that they've memorised.
3: Yeah, getting the dark, get, trying to get to the dark age as quickly as possible to get through to the Renaissance.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
3: Um, that they that they are anticipating will actually come.
2: Yeah. Well, okay, that's, so that's
3: it. Um, actually, it's. I mean we were talking about this in really in response to a review of nine eighty four and it is sort of in in light of in light of that um it's interesting to talk about i think the the weakness of one is actually the strength of the other, which is i think the big strength of nine eighty four, as I said in the previous one is the world building here i don't think the world is as uh, certainly it's not as detailed as nine ninety four and probably not sure. as immediately you know on a global sense as interesting but the the bit where that sort of bogs down 984 is the, is the, stro- the strong bit here um, not if Winston is a good character but Montag is fascinating mm. I am completely with Montag right from the get go
2: well Montag probably goes through a, a bigger transformational arc than yeah. Winston does um, you know he starts off as happily naive but when he discovers what's going on there's an incredible Sort of emotional process mm. that he goes through of trying to, first of all, understand what he's experiencing mm. and then to process it and then to do something about it.
0: I don't see that at I'm, all. I'm waiting
2: for you to jump in. actually,
0: <laughs> I actually, I, I found Montag one of the least interesting characters in the book, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah. Why? I, but I basically had, I had zero interest in him from the start. I mean, he's just, it's, he's your typical bureaucrat sort of characters where where he's he just he basically just goes along with life and he's like he's yeah. like your brazil sort of thing hmm. yeah he's just, he just chugs along happy yeah, and i was like box. yeah whatever and then and then uh, i think he's i think he's changed he's he's change of opinion is is inconsistent i thought I, I just didn't i didn't think it flowed very well i just he's really it's, it
5: mm-hmm.
0: was quite uh it was quite abrupt I thought, and, and, and uh, I mean, I, maybe I, I read it wrong, I, I don't know, but actually, when he steals the book, mm. I didn't quite grasp the, the concept of, of, of time passing where he's then, he's got the one book that he had that's hidden under his pillow and stuff in that cool scene, mm-hmm. um, but then he's now suddenly got like 20 books that are hidden uh, in his grill. Yeah, it's it like, takes him
2: about a year yeah. to collect all of the books he collects.
0: Oh, okay, I, was, no, I actually no, no. missed that. I actually that's, thought he had those books already before he stole the book no, that he steals. And I was like, wait a minute, he's already got twenty books. What's going on? No.
3: Um, okay. Cool. There I'll are a, something so something I think there are a couple of jumps. That, there are. There that, are, there are, there are jumps between a, chapters. That usually going. Oh, hang on, because I had to flip back a couple of times on this reading. Going, hang on. How did that work, Uh Yeah. none. It. it um. It, there's a lot of the, the reader has to do a, a bit of work with the book, I think, to to join the dots together as to what's going on. I think. Um, so I agree with you in, in that respect. Um, I don't think it's necessarily inconsistent. I think you actually start off with a pretty keen sense that his life is pretty vacuous, and it's just taken mm. him a while to realise it.
0: Yeah, that's, mm. yeah, that's true. I mean, because he's just been, you know, trudging along like everybody else mm. is, until he yeah. meets, mm. Um, mm. his,
2: Clarice. his Clarice, content. of He's content without being happy, but he doesn't realise he's not happy, until he meets Clarice, and Clarice, and she
0: actually says, "Are you happy?" Yeah, and Clarice actually daughter.
2: starts getting him to think outside the box, which he's never done before. Mm. Um, but uh, certainly, his transformation doesn't occur just because of meeting Clarice. Clarice is sort of the first, yeah, the first step. step. And then mm. when he then he's actually
3: sort of dismissive of, her, of Clarice. Oh, yeah, you know, how can she be so happy? Absolutely. And you know, it's not.
2: Yeah, it's not until she's actually gone that he starts to think about her and what she said. You know, I mean, she she questions him. He she questions him a little bit, and he does sort of. There's a little bit of, you know, There's a little bit of him starting to sort of, mm. uh, sort of move towards what she's saying. But it's not until she's gone that he really becomes introspective about it, mm. and then that leads mm. to him taking the book, um, and then taking the book is the next big turning point. And then, but even then, with the confrontation with Beatty, the first confrontation when Beatty comes to talk to him about it, mm. he then starts to sort of slip back into. His old self again because mm-hmm. Be- Beatty starts to sort of sway him. And then it's not until he sort of sees Mildred and what's going on with Mildred that he gets and gets starts to get angry with her that mm-hmm. that then leads him to Faber. So I actually think it's really the I transformation think, is beautifully well paced.
0: The woman who kills herself is, is, is the main character. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the big catalyst.
2: That's, that's a huge catalyst, absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's just because he's, he's, all he really knows is Mildred and yeah. like her, her friends and how they react to society. Yeah. But, it, but then he sees this woman who's so the, the woman,
2: passionate about... Yeah, the woman burning herself. And he's
0: like, well, why would you do such a thing? Why, yeah, would, you, why would you be willing to die just for these objects yeah.
3: that don't really mean anything? And no one gives him a satisfactory
0: answer. That's right, yeah. You know, that, and
3: that's, and that's, and that's what, what
2: leads him to then actually try to find it within the books themselves. Yeah, look, I'm, don't, um, I'm, don't, okay, I'm,
0: I'm, I think Montag's you know, a fine character and he's all good. I don't think he's... I, I enjoyed Winston... A, a bit more as a character. I, okay. I don't know. but I mean, I, I think he's fine. Actually, I just don't think he's the most interesting character in the book. I actually think
2: Beady. Beattie, Beattie. Is, oh I mean, Beattie is Beady is fascinating. Beady's excellent, no better, and
0: be uh, been, I mean, I I was absorbed with every mm. scene he has. Yeah. I mean, the scene mm. where he's where he's talking to him uh, to Montague while he's lying in bed and stuff, where he's just, I was convinced. Yeah. You yeah. know, I was like, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> because it
3: was yeah. Because and this is one of the things I the things I found out found about Frodo 451. Um, is the whole idea of books, and you know, BD is quite, as you said before, clearly well read. Mm. And the whole, but the whole idea of books have been outlawed, yet they know how to read.
0: Yeah, so like, knows how to read. Yeah, them.
2: but that's because they um, read the scripts, newspapers mm. are still present. Mm. Uh, scripts, the comic books and yeah. magazines are still and uh, pornos. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all. That's all still there. So yeah, yeah.
0: But you, you would have thought but that, but it. he's In... classically read, though. Yeah, I mean, he's... he quotes classical literature at him mm. yeah and uh, there's actually there was a there's a deleted scene with uh, the, where Beatty takes Montag back to his house and mm. shows him his collection of books yeah yeah but they're all mildewed and horrible and yeah they're all like, yeah. Sort of chucked in the corner yeah like, he's, um, yeah I, you know, I read these and they gave me nothing mm. I mean I've basically I'm still coming.
3: He, he wanted to do he wanted to, to um he wanted what Montag was getting out of them yeah
0: yeah, yeah. so he basically so he basically he said well this is this is my proof he says like I've read all these I can quote all of them, I've memorized them all, but But I've still come to the conclusion that I have that the society that we have is the best thing for us. Or that that the books haven't made me happier. That haven't made me happier, Mm -hmm. that's right. And that's that's the thing I I, I find his argument so compelling. Mm. It's like, well, we started destroying these books because it started off because people were complaining that it was offent- offensive to the religion and yeah, yeah. and you know vice versa and views and it's like I don't agree mm-hmm. with that so we'll mm-hmm. remove it and but by, by the time they'd finished, there was nothing left yeah mm-hmm. you know and yeah. so, so the, 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 the logical conclusion then was okay well then just get rid of everything because mm. we don't want to offend anybody we mm. don't want anybody to think about anything mm. yeah. it was just you know just toe the straight line mm. and he said uh, and you know and hey I've I've read them and I agree with that it's mm. like it's, they are there is there's nothing in there that's going to make you happy or fulfilled or propel life in any way mm. so you know all you need is what you all you need is what is the facts mm. Mm. and uh, it's, it's, it's the I just, I just love the the focus and like on richard says about like you know mass mass media and yeah. and in modern t- reality tv and it's just all you really get are mm. what is happening you know you don't even get really a sense of what's happening in the grand scheme you just get what you really need to know mm. locally and just the facts of things, like sports mm. sports figures, X, you know, X kicked X amount of goals in mm-hmm. last night's match, and yeah, that's yeah. all you really need to know. Well, and yet, yeah,
3: in, in a way, he's sort of proving the point, because the, the whole point, particularly as Farber, when Farber explains it, is that, you know, the book, you read the books and you take in what you, what you, what, what you think is important, you do know, to the rest, but you make conclusions based, based. you you, make, you come to conclusions by yourself. Mm. And that's exactly what Beatty does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the books, even though Beatty doesn't feel it, the books have still done their job. That's right. Mm. Um, and I think that's why Faber is such uh, Faber is such an interesting character and a necessary one as well because he's the counterpoint to B. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and he presents a, the case for you know books are alive. You know we don't just need read them for facts to gain knowledge and information. Mm. We read them because they're fun. They're pleasurable. Mm. Um, and, and they give you facts. And they give you facts. Yeah. And, and you, you're right. That that that. I'll both right, the, the, um, the initial confrontation between the initial conversations between Beatty and Montag are fascinating. But I found the conversation with Faber equally as fascinating because mm. um, suddenly you do get a perspective on how
2: books well, you, can. Yeah, you get in the as you say, you get in the counter perspective mm. to what Beatty yeah. has told him, mm-hmm. and right. then and then I think that leads so beautifully into the scene where you have Montag confronting Beatty, but with Faber. In his head, yeah. talking to him through the communicator. Um, I, I actually think it leads. I think it's an astonishing the scene.
0: scene. I, I, I totally agree; it's, yeah. it's a great scene. But actually, I don't think it actually culminates earlier mm. in the scene where he reads the poem, poem yeah. to yeah. children's
3: and my friends. I yes, think, so I know, think, because yeah. then
0: you've got both views, and so Montag himself is even even he's confused at this point. He's mm. like, "Well, let's see some proof here." It's like I'm so I'm so bored and annoyed at your ridiculous conversation. Mm. Yeah, and I think.
3: That's the moment of the point of no return. Yeah. Because that's the point, because it's not just, you know, that going to the station house is, you know, Montague versus society versus his job versus his boss. Mm. But that's the point where he decides, no, society as it is is far too empty. Yeah. Mm. And there are far more important ways to talk about what we're talking about. You know, mm. far more, you know, whether it's not just, you know, whether a candidate is too small, looks ugly, as mm. the mm. women discuss. But you know whether it's their, idea, their ideas, their ideals, what they stand for.
0: Yeah. You know, being the most important. So that's when he takes Beattie's argument and mm. Faber's argument and he combines them together, mm. And, mm. and this is and where he gets his proof that okay, it may have worked for Beattie. What mm. what worked for Beattie works for Beattie, and that's yeah. fine. Mm. But I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna see for myself. And so then when he reads the poem, and one mm. of them starts crying. Yeah. Because she's so moved mm. by Play. the words. Mm. Um, it's, it's like it's, that's that's it. Yeah. That's where mm. the whole thing changes for him, and it's mm. like okay, well, now. This is too powerful for me. Mm. This, yeah. this is where I. This is beyond me. Mm. I need mm. more assistance. Yep. and mm. rushes off to Faber to get assistance stuff. Yeah. and then of course leads the confrontation with Beatty, who then basically, I mean, Beatty basically tries to beat him down. Yep. Yeah. With quotes.
2: Absolutely. Yep.
0: You know what I mean? So it's Absolutely. it's a. It tries to it's, throw the argument it, back at him, but it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, and by the end, it's mm. it's it's like, well, I just can't take this anymore. Mm. And the the moment where he finds that he's going to attack Faber, is like, okay, well then you're obviously a threat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I, it's just amazing to see. I think it's just—I mean, it's actually—you'd you, think that somebody using quotes would be a good thing. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I'm going to use knowledge mm-hmm. to try and help what you're doing. But, but really, I'll, it's a physical mm-hmm. attack. Mm-hmm. It's a mental attack. Yeah, yeah. and again, it's just proving—you know—the argument that Favors
3: has been making. Yeah, you're just using mm-hmm. the knowledge. That's right. You're, yeah, you've yeah. actually taken some from the books if you've memorized them, yeah. and can now quote them back then you've taken something from the books. That's right. And I think Montag actually realises that. He goes he does, yeah. He goes, yeah. bang on, you, th- th- this is a pointless argument because yeah. I'm actually right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, interestingly, um, yeah, the book is often seen as an you know, anti-censorship uh, book, mm. anti-state cens- censors, uh, censorship. Um, but Bradbury actually disagreed. Mm. She's actually stated that no, that wasn't the intent. Which is bizarre. Well, what what his sort of his point is? It's more about you know the alienation of people Mm. by mass media. Yeah, I can see that too. Yeah, and that is quite
0: censorship as well. Yeah. No, but it it, it depends. It
3: depends on your. It depends on how you define uh, censorship. They might be defining it as something very specific. Or you know, we we don't want certain things to get out. We don't want the populace to know this idea. Whereas I think in his case, it's a case of. No, we want to control, control the yeah. populace. And it's actually yeah. far more effective for us to do that through something that can actually alienate them. Yeah. Yeah. Because the it is so public. Actually. It is mass. It, whereas a book is a very, whilst it can be read by many people, it is actually yeah, a very a private experience. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think I find it very interesting that people actually argue with the author of the work about what the story <laughs> <laughs>
2: like,
0: is about. Like, are you serious? Mm. He wrote well, that, the book; that's what it's about.
2: True, but that comes down to what's called "death of the author," mm. yeah. which is a literary theory that says once you've pu- once you've written something and it's out there, yeah, uh, uh, what you meant by the book doesn't matter anymore. It's that's up to right. people to interpret the book based on their own experiences and their own interpretation, which is fine.
0: I mean, I see it as, a, as an anti-censorship thing as well. I mean, mm. which, which I mean that's the the easiest thing, mm. Mm. but if he says that's not what it's about, that's not what it's about. Although <laughs> he did then, he didn't did slightly change his tune for he wrote um the play know, in the uh, opera. Yeah, he also wrote an introduction to a later, later version. Yeah, to the seventy eight version. And of the seventy eight version where he says that it is you know, censorship <laughs> mm. and yeah. mass media. And about, so, yeah. yeah, I can't imagine what he'd think of um, Big Brother.
2: Well, the, the good thing, one of the really great things about this book is, especially when it comes to Beatty, mm-hmm. there are so many ways you can interpret Beatty's actions. Cause, mm-hmm. Because nothing is so... Not, nothing about Beatty is implicitly stated. Mm-hmm. There's so much you can read into what's going on with him. So I can understand where you might sort of interpret it as the Hounds.
0: When you were reading the book, did you picture him looking like Warren Beatty? No. No. Fun enough, I actually <laughs>
3: get Cyril Cusack. Because I think Cyril Cusack does do a good job as... From memory, as being uh, from useful. the 66 film version. Yeah,
0: that film is very much of its time, isn't it? It's, it is uh, a little
3: bit. The, certainly, <laughs> the production. The salamanders in this, Brad, writes them to be you know these absolutely cool yet frightening looking, almost animal like engines. Mm. Whereas you know in the film, they're sort of bits of tinfoil and.
2: <laughs> um, I find that uh, the film is very cold and it's detached very cold i think it, i think it's it's lacking the the strong emotional story well, it's uh, it's that the not book that it, it's
3: not so much that the the cold and detached thing isn't so much of a problem at the start it's the fact that it remains that keeps exactly right. that yeah. tone throughout
2: yeah you could say yeah. it's reflective of the world at the start but it's still like that at the end Being, so. yeah
0: so even when Montag has his mm. change of heart and stuff so it's like hmm, i don't see it he just <laughs> looks he looks <laughs> he still looks
2: bored and robotic to me well, it's strange I've, I've read this I first read this book in the would have been the late 80s mid to late 80s i actually pictured uh, BTS looking like kurt russell for really? some reason yeah just Serious? that kind of hardened mm. um sort of world weary typeface face.
3: Had you seen backdraft by that stage
2: maybe when did backdraft come out i
3: don't know 80 89 to 91 those three years yeah ago.
2: no i would have read it before that but that so was montag
0: reason, one of the bald ones
2: No. (laughs)
0: Wasn't the guy guy in Backdraft a Baldwin?
2: Yes, he was one of the Baldwins. But no, this would have been before Backdraft. Uh.
3: But one thing then, one of the things in the the edition that I've um, read as an afterword, it's the 2003 edition, um, and it talks about, you know, Bradbury sort of umming and ahming about Clarice Mm. and bringing her back. Um, Yeah, because the film brings her back. Yeah, because we're also talking about the film now. It's an interesting thing. I actually don't agree with what he says he says that you know gradually he came around to the idea of you know bringing Clarice back and that's why he did it in the two act play and in the opera that they wrote I actually don't I think it's better that Clarice has her bit at the start
0: yeah
3: then goes and has gone for mm. the rest of the novel agreed because by think, doing that you then bring her back you then basically just say that Montag isn't on his own and, yeah, and, yeah and, that's right. and, and you know it just sort of validates the belief system of her as opposed to Montag finding it out for himself. Well he's but not completely anyway, because he has Faber. But uh, but well, even with even with Faber he's left to deal with stuff by himself, but there is no comfort for and him. And he does have yeah.
2: he does have a certain level of disagreement with Faber as mm. well. Yeah. So it's not like he and Faber are on the exact same page or anything. I agree
0: with right. you see, I actually okay. think Britain Clear's back is a mistake because it becomes creepy. Like mm. in the film he's clearly fallen for her. Mm. Yeah. And in the film she's a bit older than what she's in the yeah. book. She might something well fourteen in the book or something. Mm-hmm. But if you brought her back in the book version, that would be well. It just bit. it just make things too
3: comfortable to for and make the transition. That's too right.
2: Easy. That's right. And it does. I think it downplays, um, you know, her her disappearance and death mm. by having her come back. In that, you know, it's it, it's. I think it's rather scathing indictment on the society that somebody that's you know actually thinking for themselves. You know, gets carted away with her family and then ends up dead. I think it's actually a far more powerful statement than, yeah, she disappears and then comes back at the end and everything's happy. Everything's good, yeah. yeah. I don't know.
0: It's kind of. Hmm. I agree with you. It's kind of weird.
2: Anyway, uh, readings.
3: I give the book four looks. It's a pretty impressive book. Didn't probably, probably didn't enjoy it or wasn't as enthralled with it as 1984. Um, you were
0: enthralled by 1984. I think. Weren't you depressed out of your brain?
3: But it's absorbing <laughs> Um
0: It's not like you'd be the dance of a joy when you're reading 1984.
3: Uh, because... This, um, and I think that's, you know, the detail of the world in 1984 is I was strong with it. This, I really liked Guy Montag as a character. I loved Ray Bradbury's um, poetic um, sense of prose. A lot of the reason why the book does work is because he writes so beautifully. Yeah, four loops.
0: I've got to disagree with you there, young Luke. I, mm-hmm. I, other than some some excellent scenes, like the beady discussion while he's in bed, and mm. and um, the chase the, where the innocent man gets killed, and stuff like that. There's, there's some excellent stuff, um, and the girl, the woman killing herself. I just I just wasn't gripped, I just wasn't intrigued, I wasn't I was I basically I just wasn't entertained, and uh, I'm not too sure why. To be honest with you, I think I, I think it's because I read it. The first time I read it was a long time ago, and then I read it again for the podcast mm. really quickly mm. um, in order to get it done because it's only you know two hundred odd pages, mm. and uh, so I basically sort of zoomed through it as quick as I could. I just I just wasn't I just wasn't as I'm not too sure exactly why that is. I mean it is. I mean it's, it's clearly well done, uh, but for some reason it didn't grab me. So I'm I'm a bit hesitant to give it a score to be honest with you. I was, it's but you must. Yeah, I know, go. I must. It's strange. As I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go halfway. I'm gonna go 2.5 looks, but I think I might read it again. It's <laughs> one of those, one of those rare occasions where usually when we do one of our dust jackets, I'm like, I either love it or I hate it, and it's like, I'm never reading this again. Re- to... It's, it's very, very polarized, you know what I mean. Whereas this one, actually, I don't think, it, I don't think I gave it a fair shake. So uh, I'm gonna read it again, and we'll see how we go. But for now, I'll go with 2.5. Well,
2: look, I have read this book. Four times now, I think it's brilliant. Uh, it's my favourite novel of all time. Uh, I find the the world fascinating, the characters brilliant, the the themes and topics that are covered. It's just it, this this to me. The, I suppose it was also my first of the sort of modern science fiction books that I read before this. I'd only really read things like H. G. Wells and uh, and the sort of turn of the century science.
0: Mentioned pornographic magazines. <gasps> <It's
2: not. laughs> But um, yeah, as I said, this is my favourite book of all time and without a doubt I give it five looks. And I also think, like 1984, I think it's a very important book and I wish everybody could read this book and then reflect upon what modern <laughs> society is like. What what what, what our uh, reality TV-driven society and our yeah, constant just... m- movement society I- is like. I think this is a an absolutely vital book, like Nineteen Eighty Four, and, and both books should be read.
3: But isn't one of the ironies of this book being that the people who, need, who probably should read it aren't going to because they probably don't read books anyway? Whereas the people <laughs> who agree with a lot of it are people who read books.
2: True, but Nineteen Eighty Four has the same uh, has the same problem. Crystal, I'm going to give this book for Luke's.
1: Um, I, I quite enjoyed it, and I, I enjoyed it much more than i enjoyed 1984 and i think the reason for that is because there is a beacon of hope shining there all the Mm -hmm. way through the whole book um i often wander through life thinking what is the point when you sort of just die at the end anyway and i think the point of life is you enjoy and experience and learn and and you learn from other people and interact and I think that's the point of this whole book. Where you can't go through life just living your life to please society and to blend in and not stand mm-hmm. out. And yeah, and just to accept and and just what you're to told accept what you're told and do what you do. Yeah. Um, so I really like the the voice that this book has. Yeah. It, it is a book of its time. Uh, there is some things you kind of sort of snigger at, thinking, "Oh, well, that's a bit True. archaic," but. Uh, uh, the characters that were rounded and yeah, yeah. And and so I was coming home on the train last night, and there was this woman on the phone, really loudly on the phone, and just talking about name sort of stuff. And it just reminded me of Mildred. Absolutely. And, and, and she got to one point where she said, "Oh, and I read this book like it was a new experience for her. I'm reading this book, and I read chapter one, and now I'm reading chapter two And that was the extent of her comment on the book. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah there, there, there really is a lot in this book that uh we could look at today and, and learn a lot from i'm
1: glad we're living in a society where we can read books like this and talk about them and enjoy mm-hmm. life and enjoy each other and not have to feel like i have to pretend to be someone
3: else. Yeah. that's the thing oh,
0: you know this just makes the case for books so there you have it
1: fahrenheit 451
2: greatest novel ever
0: Coming up next, a round table on Supernova Expo! Woohoo! We're knights nice at the table, we dance where we're able. We do routines to call the scenes, to footwork, impact cable. We dine well here in Camelot, we eat ham and jam and spam Richard and myself were at Supernova Expo yesterday. It was a lot of fun, met some fantastic people. Got to interview some fantastic people and saw a lot of fantastic things. It was generally fantastic. Uh, I got some interviews with Australia's own Ben Hutchinson and Bobby N. We also got a great interview with Brian Michael Bendis, the Marvel architect himself. And uh, no stranger to anybody in the comic community. Just a bit of a word of warning, the sound quality is a bit bit dicey. Uh, We had to record... Uh, in the actual venue itself so there's no no room put aside for us but uh, I, was, I was just really glad to have gotten uh, the opportunity to interview these great people and to, like I said, to meet some um, some other amazing people as well including uh, Mr. Will Wheaton who is uh, a very nice man and a big thank you to Supernova Expo themselves and especially uh, Mr. Lionel Mumford who is in charge of the media department there uh, without him we wouldn't have gotten the interviews that we got so uh, thanks for that. Thank you very much for your efforts. And everybody who went to Supernova Expos. Uh, I don't have to ask if you had a good time because it was a great turnout and uh, a really great show. So thanks again, Supernova. See you next year. So sit back and enjoy interviews with uh, Ben, Bobby and Brian. Ben, how are you doing? Hey, good, yeah, good. Thank you, thank you very you much for the time. Good.
5: No sweat. Cool.
0: you tell us a little bit about yourself?
5: Oh, you I'm from Canberra. Where I have been drawing comics for about sixteen years now, I think. Um, I've recently uh, moved down to Melbourne, um, and I'm now with Milk Shadow Books, being published by Milk Shadow Books. I've done about thirty-two self-published comics, maybe. Wow. I'm just giving you a bullet point, you know, yeah, list no, of I achievements. I um, Listen to achievements. Walking to Japan, obviously one of them. My, my newest one, uh, my second newest is Walking to Japan. My very newest is You Stink and I Don't Issue number 10. Yep. Just started back in, like, 94 or something like that. Just uh, released it, uh, Big Ass 2. So That's right, yep. yep. Um, what, what else can I tell Handball you? Handball Heaven. Handball Heaven, Walking to Japan, and Lesson Master. They're my main ones now. Uh, recently opened Squish Face Studio, which is a comic artist studio in Brunswick, uh, which is home to six or seven comic artists. And, um, the end. Yeah. <laughs> For now. Yeah. To be continued. Do, little do, little do. List, yeah. All right,
0: awesome. Um, I'll hit you with, like, the standard um, Nerd Culture podcast questions, all right? First comic given to you.
5: Wow, okay. First comic, okay, I don't remember. The first comic that I do remember is the the British uh, Beano Annuals. Okay, awesome. That, I had comics, i had comics before then, of course. I didn't care. There was the Beano, the Beano and, and, and uh, Buster and all that stuff. I got given those hardcover British annuals. Really? Wow. And that was just the best thing I'd ever seen. Okay, first comic you bought with your own money. Ah, first comic I bought with my own money. Oh, wow. Wow, these are good questions. I wish I could remember. Oh, my God. I can remember mine. Yeah.
0: Amazing Spider-Man 289. Really? The revelation of who the Hobgoblin was is Ned Leeds. Really? Which, of course, turned out to be false.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I... I could not tell you. I think I, I started collecting British comics. So I went yeah. out and I bought I bought Beano and Buster and, and all those. Mad Magazine, all of those. I can't remember what the first was. There's so many of them, you know? I just spent all my money on them when I was like yeah. 10, 11. I saved up all my pocket money. What little pocket money we had as kids. Yeah, and go to all the secondhand bookshops and just get any comic, any yeah, yeah. comic. Yeah. Writers you admire. <laughs> I don't know many writers. I like Garth Ennis. Yeah. Does, is it Garth Ennis? He draws, he draws, he writes for a lot of people. I always like his, uh, his comics. Uh, they're pretty good it's got a definite style I really really love the writing of Viz magazine which is a a humour mag from Britain I think that's one of the funniest things I've ever read Um, yeah I don't read a lot of comics you know that I don't really don't don't buy or read you don't want to dilate your own creative flow not really it's more I just don't care (laughs) (laughs) I I love writing them and yeah I don't absorb that much popular culture anymore really I just sort of that's fair enough
0: yeah when it results in stuff like or Heaven and in walking Japan, it's uh, probably a good thing. Thank yeah. you. Favorite
5: fan head. moment? Mm. Fan moment? Do you mean like someone being a fan of me? Yeah.
6: Madman yeah. oh, oh, National these, these are really the good question.
5: I just can't seem to be So it wasn't me fawning over you at uh, Big Ass Too? Oh no, that was part of the course. That was uh, no. just normal. <laughs> cool. I, I, lo- I love just hearing, <laughs> you know, like hearing when people know my name and things like that. It's still a real big thing because it's like my work's out there and, and, and it feels. Great. That still feels amazing, you know. I really love hearing when people know my work. That's all. Just complete strangers that you know who aren't my friends and that I don't know. Yeah. Who 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 you know 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 my work and like my work. That's that's all. Uh, Have you ever been starstruck? Nah. All uh, I once saw James Hetfield. Yeah. He's not really a cartoonist. But still he, pretty cool he walked past me when I was eating a kebab and I went <laughs> 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 so, you know when I was like 16 or 15 he was like on my walls and stuff That's the only time I've ever been starstruck in my whole life that's awesome that's he, look, a, that's he looked like an idiot as well like, he was wearing <laughs> this really stupid top anyway but still that's, that's the
0: anecdote
5: <laughs> <laughs> what's the favourite part about your job so far would you really call it a job oh this is a hobby yeah. I, don't, I don't really make money off this just yet um, but I do draw for a living. No, like, oh, um, my favourite part is uh, looking back over all the work that you've done. Because yeah. I, I, I work pretty pretty hard and, and constantly and and just send it off, you know, and then get on to the next thing and send it off. So sometimes I get a moment and to, to, to look at all the work that I've done over the past few months and just scroll through, you know, on the computer and, and suddenly some of it really jumps out and hits you that it was really good and you've forgotten completely that you drew it. Yeah. So it's really nice to go, wow, that's really good, whoa, and that sort of thing. You know? yeah. um, so sometimes I get a chance when I look through all my old work to just flick through yeah. it and, and, and see some stuff that's good. Don't you do the
0: cartoons for Picture Magazine? Yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. I draw
5: one of those a week yeah. and, and I don't really enjoy doing it. Very yeah. much when I'm doing it, I don't enjoy doing it. But, and then I don't want to think about it so I get on to the next one. And then Yeah, when you get a moment and you actually look through it then you get that... Satisfaction, oh wow, you know, some of it looks really nice, yeah, and and so it's, it's yeah, that's 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 a good thing. Yeah, it is awesome. Yeah. Do you get uh, picture like uh, free pictures sent to you? Yeah, yeah, I get one copy of each one sent that, to me. You okay, have to then explain to people who visit why I, you've got picture magazine I everywhere. should, but I always forget. So if it, they're like new <laughs> friends, like, oh, my picture magazines are here, whoa, and, and just forget to tell them that I work for or whatever, and they find out later <laughs> that I'm in porn. <laughs> Uh, what else would you do if you weren't doing what you do now? Uh, well, my other passion really is, um, is I guess, three uh, D photography, which oh. actually I do work in as well. Wow! So um, I'd probably be into that a bit more. You're going to publish some of those. I'm, I'm thinking about how I would do that. I'd love to do a 3D book or a 3D coffee book sort of deal, coffee table book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe photography or maybe even drawings. I can make drawings into 3D as well. So That'd be that's awesome. a really strange niche sort of uh, hobby that I, I would love to pursue. Yeah. Mm. Very cool. Uh, if you could keep only one memory, what would it be? Oh, one memory? Yeah, that's a really excellent question. These are all great questions. I just Thanks. wish I could give you better, better, better ah, answers. Be good stuff. I think uh, one of the happiest memories I have. I'm uh, just conducting an interview here, so uh, you know. <laughs> um, happiest mem- one of the happiest memories would be when I was in high school, and I hated high school. But the highlight was when we save up all our pocket money and go to the comic shop. We had yep. an excellent, excellent comic shop in Canberra. Still do. It's called Impact Comics. Excellent. But when it was new and, and we were really young, and we'd go there and just blow like 40 bucks on comics, which would get you a big pile of comics, yeah. and just sit on the bus on the way home with all the public servants. just awesome. Swapping comics and reading Batman and stuff like that. That, that yeah. That's one of our happiest ever memories, actually. Okay. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Final question. How ridiculously proud are you of walking to Japan? Because it is magnificent. Oh, thank you. I'm very proud really proud yeah. it was a, I just got inspired and had this idea and just sat there for six weeks and worked constantly and so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. that's one of my proudest things I think yeah. awesome well, well thank you very much for your time Ben yeah. it's been a great pleasure thank, thanks very and, much and uh, good
0: luck with your boot and the show thanks and you take care okay thank you cheers okay I'm here with uh, Bobby N uh, indie com- Australian indie comics extraordinaire and uh, author of uh, Digested which was my personal pick for the best book 2011 thank
4: you <laughs> thank you for writing it I owe you all my sales <laughs> so can you uh, tell us listeners a little bit about yourself um, sort of same old story like I um, grew up with comics, liked comics but only started um, writing and drawing them say in the last seven years mm-hmm. and progressively sort of you know, started seeing that you know, I, always, I always copied comics and did that kind of thing but then saw the things on the shelf in my comic book store that when they were taking local stuff and even international stuff from the big guys if you stripped away the fancy the glossy paper and the fancy colours I kind of objectively stepped back and saw yeah I could kind of match it with that or I'm, I'm almost there I could, I could compete with them mm-hmm. and certainly with some of the stuff locally not to say that you know local stuff's not good but just sort of the technical ability in terms of um, there's nothing I should be afraid of that's right and so it sort of let me go you know, yeah I'll, I'll give it a shot and then I sort of really tried to make the first thing I did as, as best as I could yeah. for where I was at at the time yeah. and um, yeah, that was withheld, that's when I first bought that out, it was about 7 years ago and before that I'd um, submitted to anthologies and that's probably the best way that people should sort of look at doing that, it's a way of testing the waters mm-hmm, to see um, if another person will accept your work on its own merits in terms of a submission and then you can actually see okay, I didn't get rejected and if you sort of start to see more and more of that and uh, you're getting accepted, then you kind of know that it's not just you and your friends saying you're good. It's it's subjective people out there saying yeah you're good, whether you're a writer or an artist. And then you get yeah, and then it gets to a point where you feel like yeah I want to do my own book from start to finish. And so it's that kind of natural progression, but it's a long haul. It's one of those things you've got to actually fall in love with mm-hmm. um, in terms of comics, not just in lust with, because a lot of people like comics, uh, but they don't they might not like it in the same way that I do or the people that are really invested in it. Yeah. you kind of gotta like it more than just a a hobby or a pastime that you dip your toe into mm-hmm. um, and I suppose that, that happened with me i got I got hooked and you're a big advocate
0: for uh just getting out there and just doing it. it's like if you've got an idea you want to make a comic get out there publish it what's stopping you sort of stuff
4: i think i, I in general i've I, I'm, I'm that kind of person yeah. uh whatever it is you want to do it it's it, it is as simple as just doing it mm. and it's there's only so much time you can spend on something why not spend you know choose only don't don't, don't pick five things and try and do them all well yeah pick one at most two that will have enough time for you to put the time necessary to do the best work you can do yeah so don't kind of you know while I can see the value of doing say the 24 hour comics challenge there are a lot of people that just do that that's the only way that they can get off their ass and actually do a comic yeah which, uh, no,
5: no. I see. I
4: see nothing wrong with it. But if yeah. that's the only way you can get motivated yeah. through some kind of gimmick, it's not really what I'm into. I, I kind of, I admire the people who are authors yeah. and people who try and you know shoot for the stars, and not for the ceiling, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, movies, uh, music, whatever your creative endeavor is. So, dipping your toe and having having a little bit of fun. If that's all it is, and that you're not really looking for anything past that. But you, you see a lot of people that they'll complain about that they've just extended themselves so much they've done like a, a you know a six page or eight page comic and they just sort of sit there twiddling their thumbs waiting for lightning to strike you know yeah. come, you know where there is the re- rewards whereas yeah. you should have the mentality of I finished this story okay next on to the next one on to the next one on to the you should have all this, this fire about always looking ahead to the next idea you want to do rather than. I've done my comic, and now I'm going to sit back with my arms crossed and wait for some kind of reward or people come knocking on my door. and It just doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way in most things. No. Um, and so with comics, it's not... That's why I said I don't feel like I'm anything special in that sense. Yeah. I'm just more of a realist yeah. than most people. And that's all it is, really. Okay, first comic yeah. given to you. Oh, given? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. I remember I had... um an issue when I was a kid of Fantastic Four number one wow and I coloured it all in no it was in black and white and now it's been it's probably landfill somewhere (laughs) but at the age of I don't know how old I was like five or six I didn't know the worth of it it was a black and white comic and I (laughs) coloured it in okay craziness and it was thrown out with a lot of my other comics I think you'll find that happens a lot like around the world I'm sure there's a couple which is exactly why they're expensive now they're worth a lot because people treated them like toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first comic you bought with your own money. How am I supposed to any of Um with my own money? Brian Biggs, okay. the fourth issue of Dear Julia. I bought those in single issue floppies. Nice. That and Cerebus were probably the eye-openers for me. Yeah. That made me go from just the consumer of comics and someone who copied pages and liked to doodle around to actually... Seeing a light at a very far uh, 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 in the distance is something I could actually head towards. So yep. those those comics, Cerebus certainly, that made that sort of light at the end of the tunnel come really really close in the hurry. Were you there for the whole Cerebus saga? No, I
0: uh, when I he picked up
4: what he wanted to do. It was pretty awesome. I picked up Melmoth um, in the trade, and I read that because I, I left comics in my late teens, and I and. Kind of was over the whole superhero thing, the whole kind of um, uh, fanboy, you know, hero power trip fantasy. Not that it was beneath me, but it's kind of like there's only so much you can be entertained by the same thing being handed to you, yeah. just in a different costume. Regurgitated. Yeah, and then I only came back to it uh, when I picked up *Malmoth* because I opened it and it read like literature. Yeah. And it conveyed like literature, not just in the way it was looked, in the way it looked, but the the finite, like the minuscule detail of the line work of Dave Sim and Gerhard, and the writing and the long view of a large literary kind of work. Even though it was coming out in 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 floppies in series, it just it was awesome. It was it was like it was Tolstoying, you know. It was it was like a real big epic in terms of comics, and that really sort of brought. Comics to the foreground in terms of something that I wanted to read more of, yeah. and at that point I kind of really couldn't really find much that was similar to it.
0: Yeah. I'm actually a big fan of Church and
4: State. Church and State. Yeah, yeah I bought that afterwards. Yeah, I think I, I, I started reading. I went back and I read from Church and State all the way to the end. Yeah, the first um, big phone book I thought was a. No, nah, I think that was a thing where he was trying to just get into comics <laughs> yeah. and do a, um, the Conan the Barbarian parody, yeah, yeah. and then after that when he actually did what he wanted to do that's when it got interesting it really got serious yeah. so yeah they've seen certainly well I guess really it kind of answers the other two questions artists and writers that you admire yeah um, although per, I wouldn't, in terms of writing and an artistry uh, as an illustrator, I'd certainly put him up there. But if, it's not the first I think of. Like if I had to pick one, it'd probably be uh, David McKean Yeah. Even though he's, his uh, art style is vastly different to mine, but what he can do he and that. the way he approaches comics, um, uh, I, I think I admire people's work ethic, what they're trying to do, and the evidence mm-hmm. of it when you look heart at their and work. Soul Dave McKean, as well. When you look at the, the sort of the evidence of the work he does, um, it's 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 really it's really evident when you look at it on the page. And it's similar with it, uh, any other artist; you can tell the good from the bad and the people who are just pretending. Yeah. So even here at this um, where it's supernova now, you can sort of see the people here that I I, I tend to describe as playing dollhouse mm-hmm. with comics or with like they like the social aspect, which is fine. I, I love all that side too. Yeah. But the stuff that gets me excited about comics and fills me with adrenaline is is more when I go away from here and I'm driving home in my car or on the tra- on transport writing notes in my notebook going home and thinking about the stories and jotting them down and thumbnailing and writing and drawing that's the stuff that's kind of I feel like I'm breathing air on you know that kind of epiphany you get when you you know some people go out in nature yep. and they get kind of they've, they never, ha- they've never felt more alive that's the kind of feeling I get when I'm sort of thinking and writing and drawing my own stuff. And this stuff socially, it's fantastic, but it's on another level. It's one of those things where you roll the dice whenever you come to these things, but most of the time, me and the, uh, my sort of fellow authors, we come here just to socialise and I look at the money we spend to get a table and the insurance that it costs, which is ridiculous, yeah. as just the expense you're willing to just throw away. A bit of marketing. Yeah, just a bit of fun. Paying 400 bucks to hang around with friends that you normally hang out with for free on the weekend anyway. Yeah.
0: But then it gives it up to like guys like me to come and interview you guys.
4: Yeah. So that's pretty good. There's promotion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bleep out my swear words and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So You talked before
0: about just how passionate you are about what you do, but if you weren't doing what you do, what would you be doing?
4: Um, uh, f- yeah, I'd probably be a mechanic. <laughs> restoring, uh, uh, restoring, restoring old cars yeah. and doing burnouts in Ligon Street with my fist out the window <laughs> um, <laughs> no comics are it for me it's hard to answer when you've kind of uh, uh, a little while ago you kind of find out what's it for you and what you like doing and what you know you're going to be doing until you drop dead yeah. so yeah, all these side things like, uh, aside from comics I, I enjoy you know a bit of music and I enjoy you know playing basketball and sports and mm-hmm. and um, you know muscle cars and you know working out and all those kind of things on the side but they're kind of peripheral things yeah um, and they're so and comics are so far above it in a more mature sense the other things are more pastimes so I could pick any number of pastimes to say yeah I wouldn't mind doing that if someone gave me a job but um, <laughs> professional uh, classic restorer yeah put it this way if someone offered me a job in any of those fields and comics was one of them I could probably put up with a lot shittier bosses as long as I was doing comics yep. before i tell them where to go and, and leave whereas with all those other pastimes if I got a job in there and no matter uh, you know how good the money was if the boss and people around there were arseholes I'd probably leave straight away but comics is sort of like a real it's something I've fallen in love with <laughs>
0: You've mentioned uh, arsehole bosses a couple of times, I love your, your bit in uh, <laughs> Digestive with the the both the conversation that you're just having about uh, yeah, it's well, a real office space sort of conversation. We so
4: want you to do more. Well, a more lot to... of my work's driven by um, the real life kind of. I mean, people describe my work as a lot of autobio, which is yeah. not untrue, but it's more observational. I'm not just wearing my heart on my sleeve, where I think a lot of autobio comics fall down, where all they do is they just almost tell you what happened. You know, mm-hmm. this happened, then that happened, then she left me then this happened then I lost my job then this happened then woe is me mm. whereas I try and rather than it's very easy to come off as preachy which I try not to do in my comics which I do enough of like <laughs> when I talk normally like this but I think I try to photograph in my writing and drawing rather than get on a podium yeah. and so I'm really interested in those kind of everyday things because I think they're the most important things yeah. uh, they're the reasons why we live like uh, relationships in terms of uh, work ones, social ones, romantic ones, family ones, they're the they're kind of crux and the backbone of why we go on and why we do what we do. You yeah. know, I might put up with certain things just to be able to do my comics as well. So it all kind of interconnects and I find all those topics interesting. So the boss one is one that. A lot of people have come up to me and identified with. Yeah. Um, that one and the one, uh, the, the short story where I told about, uh, about jumping off the pier yeah. with my dad. With your dad yeah. Those Great. two are the two that people um, tend to come up with, uh, tend to come to me with and, and identify with. But yeah, I think the universal job one yeah. with a boss. Uh, it's as though someone's asked you to write on spec without giving you an outline. Yeah. Come up with anything and we're going, to publi- uh, we're going to promote it and sell it and you've got to be at a convention and at the convention we'll make up what the story's about even though we've got no idea. That's the way the advertising world works and that kind of stuff, it really, it gets me fired up but it also gives me sort of material for... So, it's, <laughs> so Mad I mean, Men, it is it? Isn't. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen Mad Men. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, that's right, you guys talk a lot about um, uh, movie, uh, movie shows like that, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you probably don't want to ask me about movies. I'm probably like the diametric opposite of what everyone generally likes watching. You don't have a favourite movie? I have favourite movies, yeah. but generally I find that a lot of the favourite TV shows that p- people tend to like, I go, Really? Yeah. That? Yeah. Like, I know you guys like Game of Thrones. Yeah. I'm not a fan. Uh, I, I think I watched half of the first series and I couldn't watch any more of it. Uh, and most people like that. like Game of Thrones. And I'm, I mean, I'm the odd one out, so you can point to me and say I'm the freak. So yeah. <laughs> I'm more than willing to have that label. But I, I think it's a personal thing where. Uh, similarly, to the things that get me frustrated in the real world with jobs, yeah. um, when I see them continually repeated in thing, something that's supposed to entertain me or enlighten me Ooh. or enrich my knowledge or so, some sort of entertainment. So, for instance, Matrix I like yeah. because there's a problem and there's resolution, and sort of you can learn something. You can, you know, not every movie has to be like that, but things like Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. The progression of that is just tension and tension and tension and tension and backstabbing and tension and it's like enough already. Yeah. It's like it's not entertaining. It's like I'm I'm getting a nervous twitch by the yeah. fifth episode. Um, and people laugh at me where I'll say I I much more enjoyed series like Twenty Four, yeah. where you'd have a problem and there'd be a solution. It'd be like this up and down roller coaster where you wouldn't extend my stress for the whole series. No. A lot of them I look like. I look at I know why they're doing it and I know from a marketing sense they're trying to gauge a wide variety. they're trying to get those people that like drama yeah you know so for instance in 24 while I like that I didn't like the sections of 24 where it was it was the dealings between him and his daughter yeah that kind of happy family thing it's like Jack Bowers not going to have this kind of relationship no. in the 24 hour period when it, you know As the, the United States guy. is <laughs> about to go off he's not going to be calling his daughter saying you know she's having a breakdown saying dad I couldn't I couldn't call you in the last 15 minutes where were you I was you know m- my boyfriend did this and that and he's on the phone being apologetic saying look I'm sorry dear I love you He wouldn't be saying that he'd be, he'd be saying shut your face I'll talk to you later I'll talk to you in 20 hours I'll talk to you in 20 I'll talk to you tomorrow you know you can't reach me by now if and I can't go to the toilet in 24 hours I'm not gonna call you and she knows what he does for a living yeah, exactly. And when she calls him she berates him for not knowing why she couldn't get a hold of him. It's yeah. like, oh. If you could keep only one memory, what would it be? One memory? Yeah. Okay. I was trying to think of good ones, but I'm thinking of a bad one that, in my perverted mind, is a good one. Right. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, fellow creator Trev Wood and I were in Sydney for Supernova, and they had Joe Kubert there. Awesome. And he was right at the front in a huge, huge booth, and no crowd around him, and he's just sitting at the table on his own. Oh, travesty! It was, and so, and we both felt that way. Yeah. And Trevor, to his credit, bought a book just so he could sign. He felt so sorry for him. And the the reason that popped into my mind it was just a moment of clarity of thinking: he's a legend, and look at the people walking around in their costumes. Uh, I don't know reading Harry Potter or yeah. you're looking to get a photo with the next whoever the, the the next manufactured personality who was on the TV show over there and they're, they're queuing up around the block and he's a master and a legend that some people will probably discover after he's dead yeah. and they'll wish they would have lined up and got a an, and so there was this living legend that was just sitting on his own and from reports that I've read it hasn't been treated well yeah. uh, through the years by certain companies and so forth and it was just a shame um, so that was a that was a uh, a good memory probably not the best one but something that clicked in my head and kind of just fires you up and tells you what's important and whatever did you speak to him was he? see now maybe I'm an arse I didn't speak to him because I was sort of intimidated by him but I can understand it. he wasn't his fans weren't weren't going there like I, I admire his work I'm admittedly not like a, a a huge huge fan because I just haven't read much of his stuff yeah but the stuff I have seen, it looks masterful. Yeah. You know when you just look at work and you see this guy hasn't come, been someone who's just come to the forefront overnight? Yeah. Uh, the, the line work and the, and the stories look like it's had decades and decades of hard work behind it. Yeah. Um, and it so, has in his case. Yes.
0: Uh, final question. If you were doing this interview, what would be the one question that you would want asked?
4: Probably the value of um, isolation for a, um, for a creative person, especially a writer or an author um, probably to some extent depending on what you're doing in film and music but um, yeah I think the, the from what I've seen the people that really uh, make something of it and feel like they've accomplished things are people that are comfortable with isolation and almost thrive on it um, so the people that, are, that tend to be gregarious uh, I think will find it either at the very least harder to accomplish work um, or at the very most almost impossible but um, if you actually crave isolation like when I come home on a Friday night after work I feel such a sense of happiness walking into my home in a, into an empty house I, I like social settings for what they are and I like catching up but yeah I, I just like the isolation aspect and I suppose I don't that question doesn't come up enough uh, it probably doesn't come up much in terms of what kind of character or personality? Do you think makes for a um, a writer, an artist? And I suppose I'm interested in all these kind of more philosophical questions because I'd like to see more comics out there, yeah. more more writers out there, more authors bringing out books. Um, because I'm I'm really passionate about producing work and producing stories, and a lot of people kind of they can do it because the technology now allows it. It's very easy to dip your toe in. Play Dollhouse with these kind of things, but it's almost—I uh, don't know—it's almost like not being true to it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a purist in that sense. Thank you very much for your time. Bobby. More very, people, very cool. more people buy my books from Gestalt and from Milkshadow Books. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, digested best book of 2011. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> more people buy it. Tell Gestalt and your latest um, compendium of your earlier stuff. Yeah, that's with um, Milkshadow Books. So yeah. yeah. Go on to their side, buy it. Let them know that you like it. That'll yeah. let me know that people are buying it, yeah. and I'll produce more work. And I've got a couple of other things I'm working on at the moment. So,
0: thanks for your time, Bobby.
4: No worries. Thank Much you. Thanks for talking to me. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Okay, so it's David, he come here with
6: uh, Marble Architect Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. Oh. It's a pleasure to be with you, Brian. If I knew that 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 um, a very nice term would come with the worst picture that's ever been printed in a marble comic. <laughs>
0: It's fun. What do you think of that to him? Actually, a architect.
6: Uh, it's very flattering. I mean, it's better than uh, Marvel asshole. Or it's it's a it's compliment. I do take a lot of pride in the work we've done. So you it's, know, it's a pretty impressive title. It's very nice, but it, again, that picture of the five of us that ran as promotion was so embarrassing <laughs> that it kind of took away whatever <laughs> niceness. You know, it looked like I, the worst boy band ever. And this is not your first trip to Australia no I've been here a couple of times before yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love it here yeah. absolutely love it it is yeah. beautiful yeah it's so my first uh, uh, I was only in Melbourne for two hours eight years ago so my first time in Melbourne
0: really? yeah is that when you were at um, alternate worlds? I don't know don't remember? <laughs> that's where
6: I was, that's where I was last. okay then that's yeah, where, that's, that was that's it. where I was. I was I got off a plane from Sydney drove to that thing rolled right back to the airport went back to the plane wow yeah.
0: that's crazy um, so you actually, uh, so it's obviously a very important time for Marvel at the moment. Uh, Avengers versus X Men, huge at the moment. Um, how much involvement did you have with that? Sort of first being in a Avengers title.
6: Well, no, yeah, it, it, they they came to me early on and said uh, we're going we want to do it. It's you know we getting, getting to be that that time. Yeah. Do you want to do it? And I was like, well, I, it's flattering and yeah, you kind of want to do it, but at the same time. I had done a couple of events, yeah. and
0: I, excellent
6: I, I felt I, I, I learned everything I was going to learn about myself doing it, right. you know. and then at the same time, that architect thing came out, and I proposed the idea that the five of us, the five architects, do the story together, yeah. and it seemed that that's kind of what they wanted us to do, so we, were, we, we did that way, so I get, I get my kick in it, too. I get to yeah. be part of the event. I get to work with my friends and have a new experience yeah. creatively with an event and at the same time uh, have the big event come out so yeah, yeah it's, all good. it's a lot of fun it's really cool
0: we'll be, okay, thank it. you we actually had um, Mr. Frank Cho on the show uh, when he was one of the conventions last year and he uh, was very careful not to let slip any details because it was pre announcement I managed to squeeze a little bit of details out there but uh, it was it was very tight lipped to am proud of him but he's doing, yeah, I, yeah. he's doing some great work he's
6: an amazing artist he's yeah. really amazing he's really good so this is
0: um so this sort of brings to a close your work on the Avengers. So you're actually it will.
6: I, it, there's gonna be a, um there's a lot going on between now and then. Yeah. Uh, after Avengers for X Men, I'll be doing some uh, uh, finale stories on both series. Uh, just kind of wrapping up um, I, some feelings I have about the characters and kind of saying my last hurrah to a few of those characters for. Who knows how long? Because you've uh, run them for so
0: long, so what, 10 I years? Do. and, and, it,
6: and it, it, it's, uh, it's a little painful to think that yeah. I won't be writing some of these characters anymore. Like a baby. It is, <laughs> the baby all grows up. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I'll be, I'll be doing some special finale stories, some wrap ups, some emotional, hopefully emotional uh, wrap ups to the characters, and then I'll be moving on to some other damn thing.
0: It's been an amazing run, and what, what would be some of the highlights and lowlights of your run, do you think?
6: I'll, the, the I'll need image. some more time to, to say specifically I do have things That I'm very proud of yep. uh, Primarily the people I was working with yep. Very proud of the, those uh, Mighty Avengers issues With Frank Cho Excellent um, Just happy to screw it up You know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, well, it doesn't look like You have I mean, them it's, it's, well, it's claimed okay. I think I did enough Where even if there's stuff I screwed up It balanced out pretty good <laughs> yeah. So anyway I'm um, you know, you know, I, I'm proud that there's never going to be a time where someone would say Spider-Man and Wolverine aren't Avengers because you yeah. know what? They've been Avengers for eight years. Yeah, That's a long time. That's 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 not a like a blip. Yeah, that's a you know. So that I'm I'm pretty proud. Spidey
0: should it. always have been an Avenger. Say? Spidey should always yes. have been an Avenger. Uh, that's what I say. <laughs> exactly.
6: So
0: so, um, it's, so I mean, your, your career is not just defined by the Avengers. I mean, you've had an yeah. amazing career in comics. Um, from your independent stuff, uh, which uh, torso, which I personal, personal fan, Thank you. Um, goldfish, jinxed powers, of course, all available in the
6: beautiful yeah. new hardcovers.
0: I oh, know the goldfish
6: new, new hardcover. New Marvel. Is there's something uh, very exciting about yeah. goldfish and jinx being published by Marvel. I don't know. It's just uh, no one cares about me, but I, I think it's pretty hilarious. Well, pretty cool I pretty creating them in my basement all by myself. Not even sure who was going to publish them. Yeah. To then have it like. Goldfish almost 20 years ago. Yeah, and have a goldfish published as a Marvel comic. It's uh, pretty hilarious. Yeah,
0: and uh, you've been trying to get. I'm talking about powers. You've been trying to get the uh, the powers TV show happening. Some good good news on the horizon there. It seems like it seems to be going ahead.
6: Well, yeah, well, yeah. We made the pilot, and it's it's a very nice pilot. I'm really really proud of it. They're, they're going to reduce some. They, this is what they do at FX. Yeah, they reshoot it over and over again. Such a sense of anarchy they we shot, you yeah. know, and but people know the source material, so they're all worried every time they hear of someone recast or reshoot. But it, they ordered more scripts based on the strength of the pilot. That's awesome. Is Jason you Patrick going to stay in it? We'll see. I, yeah, I don't know. It's a lot. It's not up to me, so it's not up to me to say. But yeah. there's a lot of changes coming, in and. Uh, I had a great time making yeah. it the first time so I'll make it again alright I've heard
0: good things I haven't seen it myself I actually always pictured powers to be no one's big. seen it I yeah. have it right here in no. my bag oh ok can we see yeah. it yeah I uh, um, always pictured to powers
6: to be like a law and order sort of deal yeah it's, and, it's a it's a cop show yeah. that was the problem we had when they were developing it as a feature yeah. it took them years to even get to the part oh like, they, the kept way, trying, like a- no, they kept trying to like figure out how to make it like spider-man I go no try to make it like seven and they yeah. go Oh uh, my God! Now we get it. That's four years of my life. So, uh, so yeah. But with that fact, it's a cop show with a very unique spin.
0: Yeah.
6: It's very dark. It's very cool. It looks amazing. They spend a ton of dough. Looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah. So, bad. so, uh, so it, if it doesn't make it to air, I'll show it at conventions after the Lock and Key pilot. <laughs> you know.
0: Which I've also heard Good things
6: about It's very good I've seen it Oh really? It's a a wonderful piece of film The Wonder 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 Woman pilot Is horrible Oh Oh my god If you get your hands On the Wonder Woman pilot I've seen it. it You, okay. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I thought she personally looked okay. No, her hair is like molded. It's kind of weird. But remember, like, Okay, no one's seen this about us. But but first 15 minutes, yeah. she's running around, her boobs are shaking all over the place. And then she yells at you for looking at her boobs. <laughs> yeah, they're they're yeah, yeah, yeah. Put on a shirt! Look like, at them! You're bouncing around! What are you, what are you wearing? What do you
0: expect? I mean, she at least made an effort, I suppose. Oh, well, we're not here to talk about Wonder Woman anyway. <laughs> Um, let's, let's delve into some of the standard sort of interview questions alright first comic ever given to
6: you I'm going to say it was one of those Marvel comics that had a record with it awesome yeah I, I had a lot I've got of, one of those as kid. I mean, a Fantastic uh, Four Fantastic Four yeah with, with a record on it where they were fl- it was a Doctor Doom story and they were also flashing back to the origin yeah and, yeah when John Buscema drew it okay cool uh, the first comic you ever bought with your own money Avengers it was Avengers 187 with Red Ronin Oh, really? On the cover. Okay. I remember reading it. George Perez, completely blowing my mind of rubble and You know, the, all the. And oh, he's lecture, amazing. Lecturing my non-comic reading friends about it for like two days. Okay. Awesome. I also had um those uh they would be book size but they'd be like six issues of like the original Spider-Man. Okay. Steve Ditko. Yeah. I had those carried around forever
0: they're awesome yeah. did they make it here I don't even know they made it here I know it was just,
6: it's a 62 reprint it was, yeah. a, it was a trade a trade but it was old it school was a book. It, was, it was novel size book, yeah. like pocketbook yeah. size that's awesome and I carried them around with me like the bible oh, I had yeah. them with me everywhere yeah. we
0: had um, uh, old stuff uh, older sort of stuff we're reprinted in black and white here in magazine format and I used to adore those things yeah, yeah magnificent like the old stuff uh, favourite fan moment as a fan or no, a, as a, in uh, someone to you no, had, I had so someone many. faint in front of you <laughs> I, no that, that, that would freak me out I, I, um,
6: I've had a lot of emotional connection with uh, story stuff that meant a lot to them you know I had a couple of fans get married on my message board that was kind of cool wow I, 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 there's been so many and they're so personal But but people like needed to read the story to move to wherever they needed to move to emotionally yeah. and then share that story with me Pretty amazing. Yeah. Awesome. And it's it's not always the story you think it's gonna be. Yeah. You know? So I, I take it real seriously. It's really, you know, real special. I, I know. And I've had them, I so I've had that experience that I've shared with creators that, that, that that's done to me. So it, when someone does it to me it's really emotional. That's awesome. Um or, or when uh, I killed Hawkeye and someone called me a douche online, that was fun. <laughs> it wasn't to your face though, was it? No. No, no one ever oh. does it.
0: No, no. Um, a friend of mine was actually quite disappointed about Hawkeye dying. And,
6: uh, I, well, it's so funny because I said, um, is, he, "Is he wrapping you up?" He's wrapping me up. Yeah, oh, he gave yeah. me the he gave okay. me the TV signal. Um, <laughs> um, when I wanted to disassemble, I knew I wanted to kill some Avengers. Yeah. And I asked, and instead of going, I, I, "Here's who I want to kill," I said, "Who can I kill?" Okay. They gave me a list, and on the list of Hawkeye. <laughs> And now Hawkeye's a big movie star yeah, and I go really you want me to kill Hawkeye and they go well no one cares about him so who cares and you'd have an emotional
0: attachment to Hawkeye going I mean,
6: but I was shocked that they were ready to let him go Yeah. and now 10 years later eight and now years he's later, bigger than ever he's Wolverine yeah, yeah, he's doing so.
0: I'll just do two more questions if you're right I, I'm, um, fine. Um, if you could keep only one memory what would it be
6: about my children probably and my wife
0: yeah <laughs> no, Olivia what, what do you think she's going to be doing when she's older
6: I don't she's know. A, she's she's a, a firecracker. Yeah, she's uh, an amazing drummer. Yeah. She loves comics. Yeah. Um, like, I would say, like, her, her first graphic novel was Calamity Jack. Yeah. And I I wonder how that will affect her. Or maybe not. Maybe she'll read it and go on. But she's a drummer. And uh, we'll see. You know, she's surrounded by creative people. All my kids are, but Olivia's the oldest. And uh, yeah. it's, it's nice to see her thrive in that environment, so...
0: Yeah. yeah. I only, I I only know because you have mentioned her in the tweets. She seems very proud.
6: Oh no, she, I, I'm, she all seems my, awesome. I'm proud of all my daughters. But yeah. yeah, but yeah. But the oldest, you always have a more intellectual relationship with. Yeah. I, yeah
0: so. Cool. Uh, last one. If you were doing the interview yourself, what would be the one question that you would want asked of you? People say that's a hard question.
6: It is a hard question because. Uh, involves a, a level of arrogance I can't get to <laughs> uh, no I you know what I mean it's yeah, you know I don't like even doing the interview to me is uh against my uh, my mental religion like, really like, I I come on, I've seen the YouTube clip of you dancing there, it's a dichotomy, <laughs> I grant you, but a lot of my life is spent alone in the basement. Yep. So, And again, you know that YouTube clip of me dancing? Yeah, I yeah. don't know where that came from. Really? How about that? Joe sure. found it it's online. Loose. Yeah. I didn't do that. I didn't make it. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who filmed it. They put
0: it from somewhere. I mean, it's I it. know. It's me. It's <laughs> me.
6: But it's crazy. It is also yeah, done. Yeah. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time, Brian. I'd say, what are you doing there. after Avengers? And I, and I wouldn't give you an answer.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. What are you doing after Avengers? Uh, I can't tell you. Oh.
6: <laughs>
0: yeah. Thanks for dangling the carrot. I <laughs> yeah, did pretty
6: good there. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, man. Very so much I'm good. glad we got to do this. Yeah, so am I. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, no
0: problem. So, coming soon. April 19 is a poor week for Nerd Culture Cinema. Uh, We've no pop culture films out. Uh, The closest uh, would probably be Street Dance 2. Everything else is all... uh, Electric Boogaloo? Period dramas. No, it's not Electric Boogaloo, funnily enough. And I actually didn't even know there was a Street Dance 1. I had to look it up.
2: Yeah, I've never heard of it.
0: So, uh, there you go. Anyway, a bad week. But then after that, on the week April 25, the universe makes it up to us with the release of The Avengers!
2: Yeah, I'm kind of mildly interested in Avengers.
0: Oh, poo on you! The NCP crew will be there, and we'll review it on episode twenty-three. Excited! The trailer was magnificent.
2: I'm intrigued. Like I wouldn't an old say
0: excited, trailer. Yet. but uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Oh, there's other there's other films released that week as well, but who cares? Um, <laughs> the ASA is showing a great selection of films show, uh, in the next two weeks, uh, including a Fright Night/Evil Dead double on April sixteenth.
2: Oh, that takes me back.
0: And a Hunger Games/Inception double on the twenty seventh. I actually review The Hunger Games on the website, so check it out.
3: Don't forget, you can contact us by email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com or post on our Facebook wall at www.facebook.com slash nerdculturepodcast or tweet us at nerdculturecast or leave a comment on any post on our website, www.nerdculturepodcast.com and don't forget to rate and review, review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast.
0: So as we uh, talked about it, and coming soon, next episode, episode 23, will be All Things Avengers with a popcorn junkie on the Avengers movie. Yay! Yay! And a round yeah. table <laughs> on Marvel's Super Team. Did you Yay. just say nay? That's an a. Oh, hey. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so we'll be talking about um, their, the Avengers uh, comics, uh, their best story arcs, our preferred lineups. ups a bit of fanboy lineup stuff happening in there. I would just... I'd just I've just gotta say now, Jacosta not on my team. And
2: uh There's nothing wrong with Jacasta at all.
0: And uh she's alright in Avengers Academy. But not in the Avengers.
2: You're not a true Avengers fan, are you?
0: And uh but the vision will be on there.
2: Oh that's alright then. You've redeemed yourself. <laughs> or,
0: uh, and uh it will also be whatever else we can think of on the day. Quite simply. Avengers related. Quite simply, can. Yes. That's what, what I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> including the Avengers cartoon, you ever see that?
2: Uh, That's my dear heroes. Sure no, not yet.
0: Terrible. Really? So, <laughs> and then two weeks after that, we'll have episode twenty-four, which will feature a dust jacket on the supposed number one science fiction book of all time, *Ender's Gang, by like Orson Scott Card, and a roundtable on pop culture on Australian TV. Now, one of our listeners actually uh, requested um, us do some uh, a TV themed episode. So, with uh, the new mid-year. Line up uh, coming soon on Australian TV I thought it'd be a good chance to have a talk about some stuff there's a new TV show from Kiefer Sutherland coming out Game of Thrones season two Game of Thrones
2: season two very um, excited so
0: pretty exciting stuff so we'll just talk about the pop culture related TV shows that we have on Australian TV and our opinions on them looking forward to that so that's <laughs> it for episode 22 uh, my name's David I'm with me the NCP crew saying our goodbyes Richard
2: if I was going to be a living book I'd memorize Fahrenheit 451 look That'd probably be The Da Vinci
3: Code, so don't ask me.
2: Oh, dear God, no. You... What? what? <laughs> the Da Vinci Code? I don't know why. You're just wrong.
1: And Crystal? No, I'd memorize The Foundation Saga. It's That'd
2: be rude. a fair yeah, sure. effort. There's a lot of books there. I was about
1: to say, at least I've got, you know,
3: Dan Brown, which means I could memorize it in all five minutes. Should <laughs> I be like doing the Twilight
0: books.
2: <laughs> yeah, just, it's crap. It's pretty much all you need to memorize for that book. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye! Bye.